0: Okay, the scripture reading for today is Malachi chapter 1, verses 1-5. A pronouncement, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you ask, how have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. Though Edom says we have been devastated, but will rebuild, rebuild the ruins. The Lord of armies says this, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked country and the people the Lord has cursed forever. Your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say the Lord is great, even beyond the borders of Israel. Man. All right. You might have noticed that, uh, that is not in Romans. <laughs> You're like, what, what? So we uh, we did it in Romans four through five. We're gonna take a a break from Romans, and we're gonna walk through the book of of Malachi. Um, series has a a simple name. It's called Prepare. It's called Prepare. You know, we just entered this uh, season of Lent as a church. It's where we have a uh, uh, some self-examination, some ask, asking God to to help us to be more like Him, and look forward to uh, the resurrection. And so, what's interesting is if you look in your Bible, you'll see that Malachi is the last book before the New Testament. And so, in a very real sense, this is God's message to His people: Prepare for your salvation is coming. Prepare for your salvation. Is coming, And one of the ways that they needed to prepare it wasn't just that they needed to be excited, it's that they actually needed to repent. There were some serious issues going on with God's people at that time. There were some, some serious sin and serious oppression. And he says, if you are going to be ready for the coming of the Messiah, if you're going to be ready for the coming of Jesus, then you need to examine your heart and repent. As a side note, that's the very same message that John the Baptist had, is it not? The kingdom of heaven is here. So what? Repent. Get your mind right. Now here's the deal. I want us to think for a minute. What is the cause of repentance? what What causes us to want to say, "God forgive me"? What causes us to want to say, "Now I'm going to I'm going to put this or that aside"? And and I, I, I imagine what's going through your mind is well, probably somebody yelling at you, like fire and brimstone, and the threat of judgment. That's probably what, like, that's probably what's going through your mind when you're like, "How do I get my mind right to repent?" But the opening text of Malachi has a different motivation. It doesn't start with the threat of judgment. It starts with a reminder of God's fierce choice and commitment to love us first. Before he gets to anything about what you need to stop doing, he reminds you of his love and affection toward you. Okay, so let, let, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Verse 1, it says, a, promou- a pronouncement, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So I'm just give give you a little setting, right? So this was after the exile, so what happened is God's people were in sin for like hundreds of years and God kept saying, y'all need to stop, y'all need to stop, y'all need to stop. And it kept not stopping, okay? And finally, God was like, well, just forget y'all for a minute. Y'all going to have to go in exile. We're going to take over your land. You're going to have to go to Babylon and, and, and so that you can understand the seriousness of your sin, understand the seriousness of how you're hurting other people, One thing I want to to say is when we think about God's judgment, sometimes we think about him as like like, uh, short-tempered, like he just in a moment will. But I want you to understand that is not the case. He waited for hundreds of years, sending messenger after messenger after messenger, yet they did not repent. And God exiled them, punished them specifically for two things. Because of their idolatry, because they worship other things, and because of their oppression of the poor and the less fortunate. I want you to see the connection there. The proper worship of God should lead for care for those who are vulnerable. Now get this, if there is not care for the vulnerable... Then there is not the proper worship of God. Okay? So, so here's the deal: they 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 went through this exile, they came back. Okay, they got to come back, they built a temple. Like God was like, Yo, I'm showing you grace. I I I showed you some seriousness, but come on back, let's rebuild, let's rebuild. So the people should have learned their consequences, yes? They should have been like, Well, we should probably get our mind right, we should probably be straight. Nah, nah, they didn't. <laughs> They should have seen God's mercy and his restoring grace. Instead, what they did is they had corrupt worship, marital unfaithfulness, and arrogance. They did not honor God, and they still oppressed the helpless. They they went back to the thing that they were doing when they got punished. And they looked at God's grace and said, well, you know, we're just going to do what we're going to do. And so God sends Malachi, and and we're not sure if Malachi has his actual name because the word really means "my messenger." That's what the word, word means. Like God's like, I got somebody, I got something to say to you. And so you clear, I'm gonna send my messenger. God has a clear message; He wants to send them. God has something to say about their rebellion, their consistent rebellion. And here's the deal: the book of Malachi is set up like it's a courtroom. And Malachi is the prosecutor, and he's bringing these charges. You did X. And they were like, but how? And he'd be like, like this. <laughs> Therefore, you need to repent. That So Malachi is the Lord's prosecutor. And we'll get into the specifics of what the charges are, but I know you have probably watched a, like a Law and Order or some sort of lawyer show, and, you know, the opening argument is pretty important, yeah? Like that's, that's where you like, you're going to get them. Let's get that opening argument right. What's so interesting is the opening argument does not start how you would expect it. He's the Lord's prosecutor. He's coming to convict them of sin. And the first thing he says is, I have loved you, says the Lord. That does not sound like an awesome opening sentence for a prosecution. Yeah. But the first thing he says is, I have loved you. This shows that his motivation is, is not simply to call people out. God doesn't call out sin just to be, be mean. He doesn't call out sin just to do something. He addresses our issues out of love because he wants to see change and wholeness. Y'all know we live in this call out culture. And you know people be calling people out. They do not care if they repent. They just want to call them out. So-and-so did that. Get him you know what I'm saying but but that is not God's motivation when he addresses a legitimate issue it's not just to put his finger on you and push you down it's to say listen i want better for you and he begins with his love before there is a rebuke before the charges are laid out there is a reminder of God's love and his covenant faithfulness that word covenant means it's not just I love you emotionally, but I have set my mind and I have made a promise that I will not break. In other words, this this is an intervention. This is not simply a punishment. I don't know if you've ever been a part of an intervention. It's awkward. It's not the most fun thing you ever did. But, but why? Why would somebody stage an intervention? Because they love the person. Hey, hey, let's go. We, have, we all gathered you here today. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, but it's because we love you. You need to understand this. God rebukes with love in his mind. So, beloved, when we address people's sin or when somebody addresses our own, the goal is not to cancel people. It's not simply to call people out. We confront people. With love and repentance in mind. And I, I don't even have to explain that to you because you know that's different. You know that's different. Like so and so said something real hard to me, but I know he did it. And I know she said that because they really care. Now, here it is God's opening sentence I love you, says the Lord. Verse 2 says, Yet you ask, How have you loved us? Do you know how like do you know how ghetto that is? I mean, like, I love you. How? You know, like, like I'm like, that's that's just such a you're like, God's like, I'm trying to be gracious to you, man. Like, what's your problem? You know, I mean? like so so they they zeroed in on their current issues and not on God's faithfulness. He says, I love you. They're like, well, don't look like you do. Look, look around, God. Now what's going on? There there there, are a vassal state of Persia. What that means is like they're under the rule of another nation which to them signifies that they are not in favor, that they wanted to rule themselves. They don't want somebody else to tell them what to do. And they're like, it ain't, this is not exactly what I wanted, God. Now, here's the deal. We can do this so easily. We can focus on our frustrated plans, on our suffering, and not remember the history of God's faithfulness. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were under Persian rule. That wasn't so cool or whatever, but they not in exile. <laughs> They're not in slavery. God brought them back to their homeland. And here's the deal. It did not occur to them that the major part or the major reason that they are in their problem is not actually because of God. It's because of what they did. they the ones that sin in the first place. But you know how people, look, we do this. We be like, I can't believe this is happening to me. God, why would you, I'm like, but you, that was on you though. Like you, that's that's your fault. You did that. Don't be blaming God for stuff you, did. I'm telling you, man, I've been talking to people like, man, I just, I just don't understand, you know, why God won't bless me. And I'd be like, do you know you? Like, like, are you aware of yourself? Let me help you. You know, like we get mad at God for stuff that's our fault. Now, here's the deal. At this point, if I was God, I'm like, man, forget y'all. But he reminds them again of his love. Verse 2 says, I've loved you, says the Lord. Yeah, you ask, How have you loved us? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? This is the Lord's declaration. Even so, I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. I know something that's going to trip you up. We're going to get to what trips you up here. But listen, listen. Jacob is is their great 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 grandfather. Okay. So when he says this, he says, "I made a choice between two people to set my love on, and I chose you. I chose you. That's how that's how you remember." That I love you because I chose you. I showed grace to you. Now you got this, this. This I know that in verse three, you're like, he hated who why he hate him? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, why he hate him? Look, okay, so just, just the context. This, this this word choice of love and hate has more to do with commitment and choice than just arbitrary feeling. This is how I know. In Luke 14 26, Jesus tells people that if you're gonna follow me, you need to hate your mama and daddy. Now, now, is Jesus literally telling you, like, to go slap your mama upside the head? Don't do it. No, that's not what, no, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying, if there comes a time when you have to choose to please God or to please mama, you choose to please God. That's a hard decision. But it's, it's not about, therefore, you hate your mama. It's about, I have made a choice. To pursue and choose God if there is a conflict. Okay, so listen, listen. God chose to bless Jacob. He chose to bless through Jacob. You know, we go all the way back to Genesis. We know there's a fundamental problem with humanity. We sin. We get jacked up. And God makes these promises all the way from Genesis 3 that he's going to fix it. And as you get closer throughout the book of Genesis, he says, I'm going to fix it through Abraham, I'm going to fix it through Isaac, and then I'm going to fix it through Jacob. Now, here's the deal: Jacob and Esau, they were brothers. All right, it's kind of it's kind of awkward, you know. Like one of them's going to get the choice, one of them's not. Yeah. Now, here's the craziest thing: you would intuitively think that God chose Jacob because he was better. Maybe Jacob was just a really like like a much morally good dude. Than Esau. Now, if you didn't read it, you know that's not true. <laughs> they both had issues. Esau lacked self-control. One day, he's like, "I'm so hungry." And Jacob's like, "I give you this food for your birthright." Now, what that means is, uh, I'll give you this. I mean, like this one plate of food. It wasn't like food. Like, it wasn't like a buffet. Okay. Like, I'll give you this food, and then I go. I'm gonna get more money from Daddy when he die. And I'm gonna be leader of the family. And Esau's like, "But I'm just so hungry." I'm just, it's really, it's silly. It's really how sin works. Anyway, that's another story. So, 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 so he is lacks self control. And then when he realized he got tricked, he's like, I'm gonna murder this dude. Like, literally, <laughs> like, I'm going to murder him. Now, Jacob, now in the story, you see Jacob ain't that cool either. In the whole story, he's deceiving his brother, he's deceiving his daddy, and then he has this history of just deceiving people. So you got a guy who lacks self control and has kind of this murdery feel sometimes. Then you got Jacob who just lying to everybody. It is one better. One is not better than the other. This teaches us something that we need to understand. God chooses whomever He wills. That that's the that's, that's the story of Scripture. So like like you know uh, there was there was going to be a king and there was there was Saul and Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was stronger, okay? And David, God said, nah, let me get David. Let me get that little run over there. Or even, like, one of the interesting things is I always wonder why, like, Apostle Peter seemed to be, like, the leader in the beginning of the church. That's the dude who cursed, like, I swear to God, I don't know Jesus. He did that. And then I think about John. John is the only apostle that is there the whole time. When Jesus is on the cross, he is right there. Why in the world did he choose Peter, if I, if I was going to make a deduction, I'd be like, well, I probably would choose the one that's been there the whole time. No, but God God chooses whom he wills. Not only this, this was known before Jacob's birth. In Genesis 25, verse 21, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer and his wife, Rebekah conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other. She said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. I.E. Esau going to be stronger, but Jacob going to rule. Now, why did he make that decision? They wasn't, they wasn't born yet. They did not do anything to warrant it. This is God's grace, y'all. And not only that, God's going to show what happens to those who are not in the covenant. Look at verse 3. It says, but I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. Though Edom, Edom is the country of Esau. Though Edom says, we have been devastated, but we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of armies says that, that they may build, but I will demolish they will be called a wicked country, and the people the Lord has cursed forever. So now listen, now we've already established that Esau, like, it wasn't like he was innocent, right? We've already established he kind of, he was murdery, you know what I mean? All right? And also, we I want to establish that the people that came from Esau wasn't that good either. They was wicked. They was always trying to be at war with Israel. They aided those who destroyed Israel, and that seems like not that big of a deal, but like, when they destroyed Israel, they like murdered a lot of people. And Edom was like, Yeah. So these aren't, these aren't like people who are trying to repent. But here's the deal: instead of seeing God's judgment on Jacob and Israel and wanting to repent, they decided, you know what? I'm going to withstand judgment and I'm not going to repent. I'm going to lift my fist up and say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do what I want to do, forget you, Lord. Instead of repentance, there's, there was anger and war with God and his laws. You know, this is the root of a lot of anger against God. We, we misinterpret what he's communicating. Think about, think, just, just imagine for a minute, if Edom was like, oh, shoot, the Lord took them. They was tripping, but we tripping too. Maybe we should repent. That ain't what they did. <laughs> they said, we just forget you. We're going to do what we're going to do. And the Lord says he will judge them by their destruction. And not only that, he reminds his people in verse 5 of his power over the whole earth. Your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say the Lord is great even beyond the borders of Israel. So they'll see the Lord's greatness through his control of the judgment of all people. It affirms that God has authority and sovereignty over all things. Remember, he said, vengeance, vengeance is mine. I know some of y'all have been hurt. Some of y'all, people have done some bad stuff to you. And you look at them, and you're like, don't seem like nothing has happened. Nah, man. Vengeance is the Lord. They'll get theirs either now or later. But the Lord is just. Now, here's the craziest thing. If you're Israel and you're hearing about this judgment of Edom, this should humble you because the main main difference between the two is not their behavior. We already established that the whole conversation is starting because Israel is tripping. That's the whole initiative. I got to send a prosecutor because you tripping. Ain't no way Israel could have looked at Edom and said, well, we're better. It wasn't that. It wasn't that their conduct was better. In fact, we'll find out in Malachi it was really, really bad. When we see God's judgment, it is not a time to gloat, but a time of self-examination and repentance, beloved. when When we see when we see God responding in judgment to somebody, we have to say, if not for God's grace, that's me. If not for God's mercy, that's me. And I I can't be like, well, look at it. No, no. What Lord? examine my heart, examine me, like, 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 have mercy on me. So so, so Malachi starts this argument, this, this rebuke with the reminder that God loves them, that he set a covenant with them. It's not because of what they did. It's purely because of God's grace. Now, if you were to hear that, God has made a covenant. He is going to bless me. He loves me. And then this same God says, now I want you to repent. The idea is that your heart will be soft. That you would go, he's been so kind to me over and over and over again. He's made this commitment to me that apparently I can't mess up. He's been so kind to me. Why would I not repent when he comes to me? You know this this idea of a prosecutor uh, of a lawyer, we see this ultimately fulfilling in Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate prosecutor. Okay, you go read some of the stuff he said to people. He tells the truth about people's sins, e- even the ones who who look clean, but he knows they're not. He'll say to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, he like, you are a whitewashed tomb. Really, He's like, man, your tomb is so nice. But, you know, what's inside of tombs isn't great, though. You're dead on the inside. He tells the truth about people. He knows what is going on in people's hearts and calls it out. But here's the craziest thing about this lawyer, Jesus, is though he understands every single evil that everybody has done, and though he speaks the truth about it, he says, instead of punishing you, Me, the prosecutor, the one who knows what you have done is wrong. I am going to be judged in your place. He's the prosecutor and the judge. He's innocent and he takes our place. Beloved, what kind of prosecutor is this that will begin by saying, I love you? What kind of prosecutor is this that would say, I know every, I know more about what you did wrong than you even know, and I'm going to take your place. What prosecutor is this that would take the punishment of death for the people, for us who are guilty? Beloved, he raises from the dead, and I just feel like I'm gonna be honest, man. Like, if I died for people and they still was tripping, I feel like I'd be a little bit salty. Right? Y'all know, you know, I, I didn't spill my blood for you, and you're still wilding out. He raises from the dead, He's seated in heaven, and He offers forgiveness to you every single day. His mercy does not run out. This is the one whom we serve. And so, when He, by the Spirit and through the Word, addresses issues, that we need to repent from the answer is that well how have you showed me you love me what you mean what you mean how do you... listen the one who knows your deepest darkest secrets how you have hurt and abused others said i will take your punishment for you how has he showed you he loved you beloved he died for you and not only that y'all <laughs> We talked about in this text, this, this idea that God chose Israel and God God chose Jacob for why? But to me, it just seems because he wanted to. Because, because he wanted to. Listen, we are in this covenant relationship with Jesus because of God's choice. Listen to 2 Timothy 1.9. He says, he has saved us and called us with the holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. If you are saved, why are you saved? Because the Lord had mercy on you. It's not because you were better than the other person. It's not because you, you were smarter than the other person. It's that God in his infinite grace saw you in sin and said, I will save you. Let me tell you why this matters, man. We get Sometimes we get uncomfortable with this teaching, but let me tell you why it matters. When I think about the fact that I'm saved, not because of what I've done, but purely out of grace, it teaches me to praise God. It teaches me to have reverence. It teaches me to to admire God, to have humility. And listen, it is of a great comfort when I'm having a bad day, when I'm missing the mark, when I'm when I'm in sin and I'm like, is God going to leave me? I'm like, well, he 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 came up and got me when I wasn't looking. So no, he's not going to leave me. He's made a covenant. He's initiated, and what he's initiated. Listen, I love this. Philippians one, it says, it says this: He who began a good work in you will complete it. Beloved, if he has began something in you, he is going to complete it. So on those days when I feel weighed down by sin, I remember, no, the Lord loved me. How? How do I know he died for me? How, how do I know he, he initiated this relationship with me? How do How do I know he made me alive when I was dead? That's how I know. And it's an abundant consolation to me. It's, it's hopeful. We cannot boast in our salvation and we dare not forget it. And not only this, this, this Jesus, who is the lawyer, he's also the judge. And he says that he will judge all the nations. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Y'all, if we make it to judgment day and we are in Christ and we see other people being judged because they are not in Christ, it ain't going to be because we better than them. Okay, that ain't it. We're not going to be like, ha! No, we're going to be like, if it wasn't for God's grace, if it wasn't for his mercy, if it wasn't for what he's done for me, I would be right there. Beloved, when we hear about the coming judgment of Christ, we don't necessarily have to be afraid if we're in Christ, but we should tremble. Because if not for his grace, we would get that sentence of judgment. If not for his forgiving grace, if not for his transforming grace. So, so what does all this call us to? Beloved, it calls us to a deep humility. It makes no sense for a Christian to be prideful. It makes zero sense. What did you do? What did you, you, you qualified? How did you, Well, you sinned? Like, like, like you did nothing. Listen, e- listen, here, listen to this. Even if you have substantial growth, even if you have a lot of fruit, Even that is not a reason for boasting because that is a result of God's grace. If we understand the truth in this text, it should make us stay low to the ground and never exalt our heart above another. But always say, if not for God's grace, it will be me. And this should call us to deep repentance. Here's the deal. Some, the reason that we ha- like kind of brush over our sin. I'm gonna tell you the reason. A lot of times it's because you know yeah, we were somebody, okay, you ever like called a kid red-handed and you're like, what did you do? And like it was, you know, it just happened. No, no, it didn't, but you know, that's how we be talking about our sin for real. What happened? We you know, you know, you know <laughs> that's but the reason is because on a very functional level, we don't believe that God will forgive. But if I understand his grace, his electing love, that the fact that he began something in me, what do I have to hide from him? what What can I say that's going to make him change his mind? Nothing. nothing. So beloved, if these things are true, we can be honest with God about our sin. And I think we need to really embrace a practice of confessing sin. We confess our sins with the full knowledge of God's covenant love. 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that fear hanging over your head about, well, what would he think? No, he has already promised you that if you confess, he will forgive. What does that look like? I just wanted to read a short prayer to you. This is from, this is from a, 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 the Church of Nigeria. It says, this is a prayer of confession. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, we have sinned against you, against our neighbors, in thought, and word, and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault. We have not sufficiently walked according to the mind of Christ. We have named the name of Christ, but have not departed from iniquity. We are truly sorry and repent for all our sins. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us. All that is past and grant that we may serve you in newness of life. There is no sugarcoating there, y'all. Ain't why well, I, I accidentally, no, no. I deliberately, we need to be honest because God knows and God will forgive and we need to be regularly conf- confessing sin. We pray that we pray one prayer every week. It's called the Lord's prayer. You know it's like smack dab in the middle of that thing. Forgive us our sins. <laughs> so every Jesus expects you that every time you pray, that will actually be a component. And not only this, we sh- we, we shouldn't only confess our sins in private. We should confess our sins to one another. Now, let me tell you something. There's sometimes when I sin and I confess to the Lord and I'm like, thank you. But there's sometimes where that guilt be nagging me. You know what I'm talking about. It's just nagging, nagging, nagging. But when I confess it to a brother and he reminds me of God's grace, that that confession of God's grace to my ears about my sin releases me from the chains of guilt. Some of us live and the chains of guilt and shame because of our secrecy, when we could confess to brother and sister and be free. That is actually a tool of God's healing for us. Listen, I want us to be a church that confesses sin freely to one another. And, and listen, we're like, well, what do I do if somebody says something? What, what do I do? I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. I'm going to quote 1 John 2. It says, little children, we write to you that you may not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. If a brother or sister confesses your fault, you say, but beloved, we have an advocate. Beloved, he covers your sins. Beloved, his his blood cleanses you. And just that seems so simple, but the spirit releases such freedom in that. If we want to walk in freedom, we walk in transparency and confession. And so, beloved, we remember God's choice to make a covenant of love with us. And we live openly and honestly. Because God will forgive us. God has made a commitment. And God will cleanse us. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you so much for your word. That it, it tells us the truth about how you feel. That when you look at your people, even when we are tripping, the first thing you say is, I love you. Lord, I ask that that would sink down deep in our hearts that we would be so assured of your love, not only on the days when we feel like we're doing okay, but on the days where sin and guilt and shame are hanging over us. Lord, I am praying that we would hear in our hearts, I have loved you. Lord, we praise you. Will We live in the truth of that, in the freedom of transparency and repentance for the glory of the Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.